Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast, a weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, engineering news, manufacturing, and death amps. We're your hosts, electrical engineers, Parker Doman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 356. So before we get started, uh, I wanted to just... Uh, reach out to the community and say that Empire Engineering, which is the uh, amplifier company that I'm uh, working on, is uh, looking for a web developer to finish our website. <clears throat> so we've we've gotten about 50% of the way through our website and kind of got our style in the way we want it to be. But uh, myself and my business partner realized that we're not really web developers and we don't really want to be web developers. And there's other things that we could be working on because um, there's plenty of things to be working on right now. So if anyone is interested in uh, in connecting with us and coming on and uh, finishing our website for us, I would love to talk to you. Uh, please reach out to us at scraig, that's S-K-R-A-I-G at empireamps.com, scraig at empireamps.com. So to uh, to kind of start us off here, uh, I guess two weeks ago I was in Texas, and one of the things that Parker and I had mentioned or talked about a long time ago is that he had a small tube amp uh, that was I don't know what was it? it was like a little phono amp that you found. Yeah, right? it used to be a portable in quotes record player. Right, right. Sort of portable. Yeah, sort of. Portable. Uh, well, and and I don't even know what the age of this thing is. Like 50s, 60s time frame. Probably, kind of or probably 60s. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of got that look and smell to it. Uh, <laughs> so so uh, Parker, for a while, was, was mentioning shipping it up to me because I was going to do the... Uh, I guess the the decorative elements of the project. Uh, so the the thing already has a box and and everything, and it just sort of needs to be uh, made pretty with with you know a proper application of vinyl and some uh, some grill cloth on it. So uh, instead of Parker shipping it to me, I just said, hey, why don't I pick it up while I was in Texas? So I hauled it all the way back up here, and the other day I, I decided, hey, I'll start looking into it and seeing what's going on, and we had we had taken a look at it like just a small glance at it a while ago and noticed that it had some unsavory parts inside like uh the the death capacitor that they call which used to be a way to uh kind of ground your chassis by just putting a capacitor from neutral to your chassis which is not fantastic don't do that and anytime i anytime i get any kind of gear that has that that's the first thing that goes usually usually gears that has that is is comes to me to get a three-prong cord and get properly grounded anyway so but before I, jumping on the podcast i i started looking at the amp and just kind of digging around just to kind of get an idea of what i want to do with it so so first of all like most of the components I'm just going to replace because they need them. I, I think there's some capacitors in there that are still fine, but mostly this stuff, I'm just going to clean it up and sort of redo like resistors and things like that. Um, but but I, I looked inside the, the control chassis and was just trying to like figure out where everything is. And there's a small little transformer and it was like, okay, cool. Uh, transformer, great. That, that's probably the power transformer. And I start looking around 
and I'm not seeing a power transformer anywhere in there because I, I started poking around and noticed that that was the output transformer that, so for, for tube amps, because there's such high impedance, they use an output transformer to connect to a low impedance speaker. So I'm like, wait, where's the power transformer on this entire thing? Lo and behold, this thing doesn't have a power transformer. This thing plugs directly into the wall and just rectifies mains and sends that to the amp, which uh, that's scary enough by itself. But but I, I start looking, digging around on this. I'm like, wait, how, how do they have this actually set up? And uh, luckily it has one of these, I'm actually holding it up so our people can see it has one of these old crusty schematics that they just glued to the inside of the of the box uh so i start digging around on the schematic and notice that they just have the hot uh from the power basically going everywhere and they're switching the neutral off so effectively you plug this thing on or you plug this thing in and if you have the switch off this thing is just sitting hot like yeah. it's the high it's side about, is just on the high side is just everywhere like the whole thing is just lifted if it's plugged in so um yeah there's no power transformer in it and it's just straight up a resistor into a rectifier tube which is th exactly the same thing as putting a resistor and a diode straight into the wall uh so i didn't i didn't realize that at first so i'm not going to return it to you this way parker <laughs> Well, I, I I guarantee you I have some kind of power transformer lying around that will suit this. And 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 you know, okay, so that got me looking down the the lines like I, I knew that this was a thing that happened in the past. Um but uh what I didn't realize is that there are actually tubes that were designed to run in the perfect range of rectified mains in fact the tube that's that's the power tube and this is a five zero c5 so i looked up its data sheet and it works really great in the like 170 ish dc range yeah rectified 120 <laughs> yeah rect <laughs> rectified 120 yeah 150 170 because th that yeah. that rectified tube is going to drop a hand so yeah, like uh, this is going to take a little bit more effort. I don't think it's going to be that bad. Um, it's it's really not hard to get that much voltage. But um, yeah, this is getting a three-prong cord for sure. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to have the main switch switch neutral. It switches hot because I basically I don't want things, this thing sitting high like that. And uh, a few of the other things are going to have to be adjusted uh, as well. And get rid of that death cap and so the last few weeks we've been talking about parker's pdm project which what remind me what pdm stands for uh power, power distribution, distribution module, module. Right? Yeah. yeah pdm i'm calling this pda which is parker's death amp <laughs> and uh we're gonna we're gonna go with that until i remove the death parts from it so uh, that's uh yeah uh, okay when dealing with mains if 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 you know if you're a fresh engineer and you haven't had to deal with mains read up on them but there's a few things that we just don't do anymore uh in terms of these style of of uh products 
and and that is direct rectification of the mains. We uh, there there are some applications where that does ex- still exist, and um, but they're they're highly controlled. You don't just do that because it's an easy way to get DC. And one of the main things about that is is if anything's shorted at all in this, it's just a dead short to the wall. That's no bueno. So that's just whatever your breaker is in your house or whatever you have that plugged into. And if you have this off, it would be very, very easy to get for you to be the connection to neutral, right? Uh, I mean, the whole chassis and everything is live at that point. Uh, well, I shouldn't say the chassis. The If that death cap failed yeah. and this thing was plugged into the wall, oh, even well, with the switch off. Well, when it warms up, it fails. Because <laughs> when you first turn it on, it, it's fine. And then when it warms up, when it's been playing some music for a while, you get a nice, nice little, like, vibration when you touch the when you touch the okay chassis. so the death cap is incredibly leaky basically yeah, yeah which which means that the that chassis is lifted and you're you're pulling a lot of oh, juice yeah. through that cap yeah. so that's no bueno how yeah. else are you gonna uh, feel the music <laughs> yeah this this thing uh i looked uh, on the data sheet the max this tube can crank out is about two watts so two watts is loud ish it's loud but enough for that thing. It's not not maybe it's not feel the music loud. It's no. comfortably. You need sixty loud. hertz flowing through your 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 arm to feel the music <laughs> at that point. Well, with the amp in its current state, that would not be hard to do. No. Well, it already um, does it. <laughs> <laughs> well, have you shocked yourself on this? Uh shocking shock is a is a strong term. <laughs> Uh, I guess I don't know. Felt jived with the music. Jived with the music, yeah. <laughs> so th- th- that'll be that'll be a fun little project. Um, getting all it, there's so few parts in this thing that it's you know once once I have everything, the actual wiring is going to be really simple. Yeah, it's not it's not crazy. Um, because one of the, part of that project is to there's a um a preamp I included a two preamp. That's also a really cheap preamp for phono. Cause even though it was a record player, the original needle, um, actually output pretty much line voltage, which is insane to think about. Cause usually when you talk about like a needle moving on record, it's producing like millivolts of, of signal or or far less yeah the, yeah it's it's not much let's put it that way yeah you're, you're talking about millivolts whereas line voltage is like one volt peak peak and yeah. that and the so the the i can't remember what they what kind of needle it was called for that for that record player but it was actually very common they also wear out your records really quickly because you got the because the record has to move more mass through the needle to make the sound go oh so it just shreds your record yeah it's like a crystal needle or something like that quartz needle ceramic uh something or other maybe be ceramic well and and so that's super lucky because you don't have to adjust the gain to be able to put in your your preamp in fact you might not even need a preamp no no i need a preamp because i'm i'm making it so it works with a modern record player 
which uses like a magnetically coupled needle. Right. right which right. is in the millivolt range. <laughs> right. So you yeah. need to boost it. So you need the preamp, which is why I included it. Sure. Yeah. So I, I got to, I got to figure out how to package it all up. What's funny is the original thing, which was going to be just, you know, decorating it and uh, making it look pleasing. That's going to be the easiest part of this whole project now. Probably, yeah. So you got something on uh, oh, some yes. AI computer modules, right? Yeah, so I think that was over, was it over the weekend or late last week, I guess. Um, OpenAI kind of released their next iteration of their uh computer module for chat um it's called chat gpt3 um i played around with like the previous version a little bit um because there's a there's a chat bot for for snacky the snack machine which is a uh, snack machine we bring to defcon and uh so they released their new model and like Twitter went insane talking about this this chat bot, and um, like I, I saw people basically like giving the chat bot assembly code and asking it, "Hey, can you like tell me how this code works?" And it answers mostly truthfully. <laughs> so the chat bot actually tries to go and solve or or figure out assembly. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Some people have like fed it um, and got fed it like Python and got like compile stuff. Um, I mean, the Python is not compiled, but like fed it, like made it run Python, like Python interpreter, which is insane to think about um, as a chat bot. Um, And the main the main thing I want to talk about, though, about this thing is. The AI, when you're talking to it, it sounds so sure of itself when it's giving <laughs> completely wrong answers about something that you know about. And there's a lot of confidence behind it. There's a lot of confidence in its speech. How it's its diction is very confident. And which is fine. It's a chat bot, right? But the thing is a lot of I've saw a lot of comments online about people wanting to or suggesting we can use this as a replacement for like general internet searching. What right? do you mean? Well, right now you go to Google or DuckDuckGo and you type in your search request and then like, you know, a thousand two hundred and eighty-three pages show up and you have to go through like at least the first couple to find the information you're looking for. Well, what this chatbot is doing essentially doing is aggregating all that stuff together and then giving you an answer already at the front end when you ask that same question. Mm, okay. Um, however, the problem is you don't know when you just ask the chatbot, you don't know what data that chatbot was trained on. What data does it contain? I think I think this one is like the cutoff is like a couple years ago, so it doesn't have any like recent information. Um, so that, that's a problem with it, right? Um, sure that, you know, as computational speed goes up, they can, you know, 
start building the the chatbot model more often than not, right? And so you can, you know, that the time lag will be shorter for recent events, right? But again, the problem is though, like, you don't know how good of an answer it is. It's just confidence in itself. <laughs> yeah, it just comes back saying, this is how it is. Trust me. <laughs> Sometimes it's like that. Uh, it's just, we're like, if you're doing your Google searches to find information, like you're going to find like five or six different sources. And then you have to like basically piece it together and figure out what the actual truth of what you're searching for is. Um, so I have, a, I have a, I have a suspicion that this is just going to basically like push us farther down the slope of the reduction of critical thinking of like humanity, right? Where honestly, it's kind of like, um, um, like Alexa and, and like, you know, uh, Siri where people would just ask it and it, it is basically doing a Google search, right? On its end. And then, but it only like reports like the first thing or it's, it's a little bit smarter than that though, but it's what it's doing. Right. Um, whereas like, the great thing about the internet is you have so much information so you can go and find and figure out what's going on. But this is kind of like distilling that down, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, removing the, uh, the critical aspect of the, you, you know, receiving information is uh, somewhat dangerous, right? Uh, when, when asking a question, at least having an idea of what is a range of possibilities of the answer is important. But if you're just saying, Hey, Alexa, blah, 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 blah. Sorry if people's Alexa's just went off, but, uh, <laughs> uh yeah. And, and, and it comes back with something. Alexa, saying, subscribe oh, to the MacFab engineering podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's a bit dangerous, right? And it, yeah, it seems like we're walking in a, a towards something of that sort. Yeah, it's just like a reduction in, in like researching skills. Um, I think that's going to be a. I think that's something we've got to tackle as a society with this kind of stuff. Like, do we does the society just give up that part of their brain, basically? It it depends on how good it is, right? I don't know. I, I know it's one of those like everyone's always just saying, oh, yeah, AI gets better over time. But I don't want to think it can still even, there's still something missing there, right? Oh, absolutely. And I think I don't think it'll ever reach a point where it's, you know, uh, where it, it surpasses a human, to be honest. I, I don't actually think we'll get there. But um, but the I, I asked it a question. I said, oh, what connector have... should I use for my power distribution module? So how this bot works is the more specific you get, the better the answer gets, which makes sense. Whereas totally a more general sense. question gives you a more general answer. But so I tried to make a, a general thing, but I threw in some stuff like connector, power distribution module, like other like stuff that's very specific, but it's a general question, right? This is what it came up with, which is honestly very interesting. 
It is not possible for me to provide a specific answer to your question without more information. The type of connector that you should use for your power distribution module will depend on the specific requirements of your application and the power distribution module itself. Some common types of connectors that are used in power distribution systems include terminal blocks, screw terminals, and pluggable connectors. It is important to select a connector that is rated for the current and voltage levels that will be present on your system, and that is compatible with the power distribution module and any other equipment that will be connected to. It, I, I can keep going, but it's like also going to it talk, start coming out like durability, reliability, ease of use, but it's like, this is all this is is an SEO generator. Still, like the the uh, um, the advice it's giving you is really good, though. Yeah, yeah. So we were a long time ago. You were talking about the whole concept of so you want to do blank or want to buy a blank. That is I was what just this about is. to bring that up. Yeah, this is perfect for that. Yeah. Uh, okay. How do you how do you access it? Um, go to openai.com and then you got to make an account and. Oh, okay. I can't do it right now. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to have to play with that because I'm curious, uh, if you start giving it more information about electronic designs, can you do anything? Uh, can you do something with that? Yeah. And, and what's interesting is a couple months ago, Steven, you told, we never talked about this on the podcast, but you told me that. I don't know if this is true or not, but Google is going to start reducing how much SEO matters on a page. Yeah, my, my wife works in um, uh, marketing, and she she mentioned that to me. I don't know where she got her information from. But I think this tool is probably the reason why. Or, mm. or Google has an internal tool, an AI chatbot kind of program that started generating really good SEO articles and they're like, well, we can't do this anymore because now you can just with one sentence, I basically wrote two paragraphs worth of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, craft lab in, um, in chat brought up, uh, that it would be fantastic for padding out term papers, which oh, yeah. would not surprise me. Oh yeah. And is that plagiarism? I mean, it's cheating. It's, it's cheating, but cheating. not plagiarism. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's very interesting. I want to play around more with it now to get more specific questions and see what it comes up with. But some stuff that I've asked it, it just either will get confused or it will just say stuff's impossible. Um, but it's like, it's if you start asking it like, uh, not really open-ended, but like abstract questions that would have an answer to. Like, you know, a lot of our questions that we like bring up on the Star Wars podcast, trip mm. it up. Like, if mm. you ask it how big the Death Star is. That one it, actually it goes, probably isn't I don't know how big the Death Star is because the Death Star is fake. No. It's like, oh, <laughs> thank you. Speaking of that, next week is the Star Wars podcast. It is. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Craft Lab gave me a, uh, a story. And the prompt was Eagle versus KeyCAD. Like, make a story about Eagle versus KeyCAD. 
Once upon a time in a bustling city filled with engineers, there was a great debate about which was the superior PCB design software, Eagle or KiCad. Two engineers, John and Sarah, found themselves on opposite sides of the argument. John was a devout Eagle user, while Sarah was a fierce advocate for KiCad. Eagle is simply the best, John had declared confidently. It's been around for longer, it has a larger user base, and it's just more user-friendly. But KiCad has been has come so far in recent years, Sarah countered. It's open source, it has a lot of powerful features, and it's constantly being improved upon by a dedicated community of users. The two engineers went back and forth, each making their case for their preferred PCB design software. But no matter how hard they tried, they couldn't convince the other to change their mind. In the end, they realized that the best software was for them was the one that they were the most comfortable with and the one they had the most experience using. And so they decided to put aside the differences and continue using the software that worked best for them. The moral of the story is that different people have different preferences and that's okay. Wait, that's the story it came up with? That's the story it came up with. That's amazing. That's that's amazing because, uh, well, especially with KiCad and Eagle, that's not a story that you would ever hear. <laughs> if you go search forums, it doesn't usually play out that nice. No, but uh, that's that's awesome that it wrote that. It's gonna be very. It, I think it'd be great at writing children's stories. Yeah, I I, I think it's funny how. <laughs> It wrote a moral to the story. Yeah, that's a moral to the story. <laughs> well, it's probably because it has read a lot of stories or has a lot of stories fed into it that have, at the end, the moral of the story. And so it's like, well, it, clearly this needs to have a moral to the story. <laughs> it it sounds like we could all learn a little bit from John and Sarah. Yeah, I think so, too. <laughs> Actually, it is kind of funny too because it's the the moral of that story. Like, I'm I'm down for it. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah if you like your software, use your software. Yeah. Um, I I don't think it's going to be as basically everyone's like this changes everything, and I'm like, I don't think this changes everything. Um, if anything, it just makes like AI generated news articles like harder to spot. That's what totally was is what's going to be used for at first. Mm. Um, it's probably why like SEO won't be won't matter too much anymore. I wonder I wonder if Google has a way to detect stuff that's written by this already or stuff or they're working on that. It would not surprise me. So that, anyone trying to game the system, I'm sure they're making sure. Oh, yeah, there's protections against that. But yeah, the whole um, detecting that it was written by a chat bot, basically. Yeah, that's a little bit, uh, that's scary good. <laughs> so stuff like that, it's really interesting to to write about, uh, to ask it. Um, I was going to try having it like write um, uh, monsters and stuff for our tabletop stuff and just see what it comes up with. That'd be cool. I just want to question that, like, like maybe it would be really good to, you know, like building out like, uh, like 
story arcs and you just take that and then build off that because when the um over in this uh, earlier this year in the spring there was that um art bot i guess the art ai that you gave it prompts and it would make art or attempt to make art mm-hmm. and uh i was talking to one of my friends who does a lot of uh digital asset making and uh he says that he actually uses that to start, uh, depending on what it is, he'll use that to start to generate stuff. So he can show what he does is he shows his clients it. So the client will be like, I want blah, 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 blah. Right. Mm-hmm. And then he takes that blah, 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 and throws it into the, this, the AI generator and generates like 20 different things. And he can show the client like, are you do you th- or what which one of these are you thinking about when you say that and then he they will pick a couple and then he iterates off those and actually does all the artwork on it so yeah, he gets closer to what the customer wants faster so it's, it's very interesting to use a tool like that yeah i kind of like that just use it as a as a source of inspiration as opposed to the final product yeah yeah um I definitely want to see like I wonder if you started feeding this chatbot like net netless for PCBs. I was just about to to ask like how long until we don't have a job and we just feed a computer like this is the design requirements and and it just spits out, you know, for all the stuff. For a lot of stuff you can probably get kind of close on that. At least, like, maybe a schematic that's mostly done. Um, and you have to go back and fix the rest. And that's one thing I think what these AIs really need to do, because some parts are probably it's really confident about, and other parts it's just making stuff up. If you knew, let's say for that, for a schematic, let's say there's an AI bot that can build a schematic for you. And based on design requirements, right? Maybe you feed it like, oh, just say schematic like that. Because honestly, it doesn't really matter what, let's say it has a microcontroller. Doesn't really matter what microcontroller you're using, right? Um, and uh, I wish it could tell you like parts of that. What I would wish for is parts that schematic it was confident in and other parts that was not confident in. So you knew where to go start looking to finish it out. So it even tells you where you need to go work. Yeah. Like, it's like, you know, this one part of the circuit's like, it goes, I have no idea. So I just wrote stuff down. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, dude. (laughs) Yeah. Good luck. I mean, because when you think about like your schematics, um, how often do you, are you copy pasting from templates and stuff from your old stuff? Oh, if I'm starting a new schematic, I bet you. 50 60 percent is just grabbing from other things yeah circuits that you already and, know and, that are and, working. and even like most of the, the copy paste stuff is just because the symbols are already in a different schematic i'm not like copying full chunks of schematics just like mm-hmm. oh i know this symbol's there go grab it yeah yeah sometimes that's even faster than digging through your libraries to find stuff yeah, yeah. um craftlot's got a really good point and your job is start would start becoming more like herding AIs to get results you want. 
Um, so honestly, in that way, it's more it's it's a different kind of job with different kind of critical thinking. In terms of if you start using the AIs and and figuring out what its results are, and then you knowing what the range of parameters that what it's spitting out is good or not. You know, actually, uh, in terms of PCB layout and auto routers, like if you are so determined to use an auto router, you do have to babysit it. You do have to feed it all the appropriate information. And if you really, really, really fine tune all the information, I bet you could get something usable for most general designs. Mm -hmm. And, And yeah, if we're talking about AIs doing it, it would probably be design me this. Here's all your parameters and it's thousands of pages of parameters. <laughs> so yeah, it's but, gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see what happens uh in this space. Um I'm worried about the people who are seeing it as a way to bypass thinking. Because I see a lot of that. Or like you said, r- reducing their research skills. Yeah. You know, like you don't even have to put much effort into it. You just ask and it's there. Yeah. Um I mean, that's how it is in Star Trek, right? There was an argument for when the internet started becoming a big thing with everyone's just like, oh, yeah, just Google the answer. Like that whole thing, like just Google the answer. It's like, well, you still have to go through and figure out which answer is the right one, especially if you're searching something like a random error code or something. It's like there might be four or five different threads that exist on the internet about that error code. And you got to find which one's the right one and and uh, right solution for your application and stuff. Um, that'd be a, a, an interesting thing and start asking it like that kind of stuff. Like just copy pasting like errors and being like, how do I fix copy paste this? Let's see what it says. Yeah. Like remember that issue you know- I was having last week with... Um, Xbox Game Pass on my PC. Oh yeah, and you had to do reg edit and yeah, stuff? for some some something broke in a software update for Windows. Go figure. And uh, yeah, I had to open up PowerShell, run a command, make sure that was working, and then go into the registry and edit a field, and then reboot, and that it fixed it right away. But like, yeah. I was like looking at the results, and I'm like, there's people like. Everyone's like, there's like, there's like four or five different threads on this error, and the first three didn't work. <laughs> Sounds about right. You know, um, kind of in uh, in the same vein of this, I remember back in college, in some of the earlier classes like physics and things like that, doing homework with other people or or being on exams or. Well, maybe not exams, but but just like doing work with other people and seeing people chug down the line like they knew the steps to execute something. And they were so like, just, yeah, if I just plow through this and get to an answer, I'm done. And they get an answer and then they're like, I'm done. They raise their hand. And the answer is so many times so egregiously wrong that like all you have to do is look at the answer and be like, does that even make sense? Like, did you even stop to say like, yeah, sure, you did all this work, but you, your answer is so wrong. Like, I think I think that's kind of what you're getting at here, that the, the scariness of people not looking at the answer and just being like, yeah, that, 
that can't be right. Yeah, just trusting I mean, whatever spits out because the process was followed. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at some of these answers that people are posting. Like, someone was like, "I posted, gave it assembly code, and it like commented it and stuff." And I'm like, "But like half of it's wrong." <laughs> but but at the and same, you don't time, know what it's part's still wrong. Impressive that it did it, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I guess so. But they were not even. They were not. We're not talking about that. They were talking about how. Like it actually did it, and it was like a good answer and stuff. Well, maybe not a good answer, but like they weren't qu questioning if it was bad. Right, right. And, and and that's when it gets scary when you're asking it for things that actually matter. Yeah. So we'll as see. opposed to just like write me a story about John and Sarah. <laughs> yeah, and Eagle and Keycad. <laughs> that's so incredible that it was able to do that. Like. I don't well, even no, understand you, the okay, fundamentals okay. of how this operates. If you break, if you look at that story, though, it is there's nothing particularly special about that story. No, of course not. But it it exists. It, like that's that, still I, fascinating if and, and that, crazy. Yeah, it exists, but like there's no there's no like story arc in there though. Well, okay, so that does bring up a, a point. Maybe we're getting a little philosophical. We're getting a little crazy. Let's just put it that way. But uh, do you think computers could get to the point where they're creative? Or do they, will they always require our input and everything is derivative? Well, there is already a saying that is like, there's only like six real stories in the world and everything's a derivative of everything in, in terms of literature or fiction, mm -hmm. I should say. Um, so from that metric, no, because we don't even do it, <laughs> but, um, maybe if you asked, maybe we tweaked it with the inputs on it and you said, Hey, I want like a, a actual conflict and stuff. And maybe you could come up with that. Cause this yeah, just, I it mean, does, it, it can't really. It, I, from my understanding is it's making new sentences and stuff, but it's not, it can't really build anything. It hasn't really seen. Yeah, right. That, that was my, I guess my point was with creativity is for it to come up with something that fundamentally exists that, yeah, that does not exist within its own like basket of inputs. I, and I, I suppose fundamentally that's, not possible right i i don't know yeah i i don't know either i, I say, honestly don't know you how could it say works. there's a lot of times on this podcast where we just come up with new words <laughs> lack of better all term. the time uh where i don't know if this chat bot i mean i guess you could like you would have to train it though on these new verbs like if if, if you gave it that it probably wouldn't have any idea what it meant what that meant Oh, this is the this is the most important question. Cheese trees and ocean breeze asks: Can you use OpenAI to find in stock parts for bombs? Probably <laughs> not yet. That's an impossible. Probably task. not yet. But that's a that's awesome. Yeah. Find me. Uh, yeah, yeah. OpenAI, find me a substitute for this component that's out of stock. Or just find me a part alternate for this part. I mean, we already were talking about yeah, the. Give me a, so give me a part number. A we're going to ask, right. ask something that right now. All right, let's let's have it find like a really simple 
like a resistor. Okay, give uh, me give me a resistor part number. Yeah, gosh, what is what, like R O six O three? Let me remember my. I don't remember off the top. I'm of just going head, to I'm going to Mauser real quick. I'm going to grab a. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, what brand do we want to use? Wait, hang on. Uh, <laughs> let's pick like a 10K. Yeah, 10K is good. Or... Oh, cheese, uh, cheese trees has a good point. What, what not? Uh, what about a uh, five, five, five timer? Well, that might be too easy because finding an alternative for it, it'll just find another five, five, five timer. Yeah. I'm just trying to pick a. There we go. Here's a CRC part. CRCW 0805 or something like that. 0402, but this is fine. 0402. Okay, yeah. So I have a, I have a component. Um, I'm going to ask it. Find me a part alternate for this part, and then the part number. How, how, I guess we'll find out, but in general, how long does it take? I don't know. It would be kind of. So it does say, I'm sorry, but I'm not. So this is what it says. I'm sorry, but I'm not able to browse the internet or access any databases. So I'm unable to find a part alternate for the specific part number you provided. In general, finding a part alternate to is, uh, can be a complex process and has multiple factors. Got, Compatibility, performance, availability. So it actually didn't even know that it was like a resistor or anything, though. Hmm. Um. So no, it can't. It can't do that. Okay. So interesting. Well, maybe in you know. Maybe in the future we'll have we'll have bomb bots that well, just go and procurement's job is safe for now. yeah i actually procurement might be uh might go sooner than a design engineer right in terms of being replaced by a bot i think what's going to be this is how tech seems to work or has been so far is with every new tool there's always a group that says uh this is going to put people out of a job right but always what ends up happening is that tool gets used to augment and make just people more efficient. Mm-hmm. And that's why I see this as this is a tool to make people more efficient. Well, and, and craft lab in chat made uh, made a good point. You'll need more senior people who can understand when the AI has gone off the rails. Like that's what the job becomes For, like there's the job of keeping it in check but then also checking its answers. Yeah, because I mean, you still got to build the model. It's not like it's not like uh, OpenAI just went like waved their magic fingers and like poof, the AI existed. It's like no, there's a lot of data and uh, science behind it working. It kind of seems like that's what they did. <laughs> it that that stuff is magic to me. I don't. I do not understand deep learning or. Neural networks. You should look into it. It's pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah. You put in you put in inputs and it webs out until it finds an output, right? Yep. 
And then you tell it bad bot or good bot. <laughs> right. A lot of times. Yep, a lot of times. I like uh, that that YouTube channel Code Bullet where he oh, writes yes, the, AI to play games. It's amazing. Yeah, he typically doesn't use like the higher end AI stuff that is around, but it helps you understand the more simpler AI uh, that exists out there, for sure. Yeah, he he does he does some pretty savage uh, coding in terms of like he 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 rewards his AIs with cookies when they succeed and then he just kills them when they don't. <laughs> All right, so um, your CNC, what's up with that? Yeah, it's, I got uh, just a quick little update. The uh, So all of the anodized, or sorry, all the aluminum parts that I milled, I got to the anodizer and got them all back and they're gorgeous. I'm super happy with them. Uh, so all of those parts are in. And then last week, I got all the extruded aluminum uh, for the base of the table on order. The uh, The way that that works, well, given that I'm getting it at a residential address, not getting it uh, shipped somewhere else, that's uh, extremely expensive. So I worked at a deal with the place that I'm ordering it where they'll just throw it on their truck and uh, I'll get to pick it up at their location. So I avoided all the freight shipping. Oh, that's nice. Now that's awesome. It's real nice. The only thing that sucks about it is I have no idea when that truck is coming in and I'm just sort of at the mercy of whenever they get enough to fill the truck and get it delivered. Yeah. So the CNC is on hold for a while, which is totally fine because I just nuked my bank account uh, buying all the parts for this. Um, so I need to, I need to rest on buying toys. So yeah, um, all the uh, anodized aluminum parts look fantastic. I'm super excited with those. And um, the, yeah, it's going to be a little while before, I, I don't even think I'm going to get the table in until mid to late January. So, Well, you should have an update on... Uh, you sent me some videos of, like, stuff moving. Well, okay, so the Z-axis, I do actually have the plate moving. I, I In fact, I what I wanted to do was figure out what are some, like, reasonable acceleration and speed values I can do. And for this particular setup i was playing around with a thousand millimeters a minute uh movement rapids and it was actually doing it uh which is surprising that's like that's pretty fast for for what i was expecting on this in fact i could i could probably actually go faster than that but uh it was fairly unfair the uh, situation i was giving it because the z i have it resting down on my table and there's no load applied to it whatsoever so everything i'm about to talk about is moot in terms of what the real thing has to do. But, uh, I was, I was checking just general accuracy of the, of it moving. And I was w over an inch. I was well beneath. Let's just say I, my, my measurement tools aren't even enough to measure its real accuracy. Uh, so once I, once I have it fully, you know, put together, I'll be able to put it through its test. But yeah, I, I, I sent Parker a little video of it moving, about uh, eight eight tenths of an inch, and then uh, taking tenths steps, and it's like bang on every every time. But what what I really need to do is actually set the Z up, put weight on it, actually put the spindle in it, and mount it vertically, and then redo that test and see mm -hmm. if it's 
if it's any worse. The uh, all, all, the bolts that I have, you know, putting the Z-axis assembly together are not perfect, and I don't have everything bolted down fantastic at the moment, mainly because I'm not I'm not torquing everything to its actual specs yet, because uh, I'm probably going to disassemble this anyway. Um, so once again, everything's a little bit unfair with the, the thing. I was just mainly like, can I slap this all together and, uh, just, just generally test the accuracy. And I'm super pleased with that so far. The, uh, I did make one big mistake, which it's funny because people on the internet, uh, in the research I found, they're like, don't do this. Just whatever you're, whatever you do, don't do this and you'll be fine. And I went and did it, and I realized why they say don't don't do it. But I took my uh, one of my linear rail trucks off of the rail and decided to try to clean it and repack it, which means taking your, the ball bearings out, re-greasing them, and yeah, well, that's a nightmare. Um, so <laughs> I, luckily, <laughs> luckily, I took only one of the trucks off, and it has 124 ball bearings in it. And I took it off; they immediately fell out. And I lost like six of them, and uh, so I ended up having to go to McMaster and buying them, uh, and and buy a whole new set, which they just arrived like two hours ago. So I get to I get to repack one of these, and hopefully I can actually get it to work because I tried with the remaining, the, I guess the 124 minus six that I had lost. I tried to repack that one, and I it was it was so damn hard to get it to get repacked and then actually sit on the rails properly. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm really hoping I don't have to order a new a truck basically for it, or they call it a ball bearing block or something. I can't remember what they call it. I think it's a block, but um, so yeah, I get, I get the, I get the fun exercise of having to redo all of that, which I wanted to do because the, these rails, they feel all right, but they, they do feel just a little sticky and a little gritty, I guess you could say. And when I first got these rails, I mean, they're made of the finest Chinese out there, but uh, if you tip it up vertically, you should expect the rail to just drop in from mm -hmm. gravity. They don't. They just stick. Huh. So their friction is pretty high. I don't know if I care that much about it because, I mean, this is, this is a CNC that's driven by some pretty hefty stepper motors like overcoming the uh, a little bit of extra friction on the rails is not gonna spoil anything but if i can clean things and make it run smoother i i'm gonna try but you know when people say don't do these things like there's a reason why they're saying don't do these things so you know if, you, if you're playing around with linear rails don't don't step in the mud like i did so i asked our our glorious overlord now the chat the chat bot uh <laughs> yeah. can i repack a linear ball bearing rail and it said it is generally not recommended to repack a <laughs> linear rail ball bearing uh honestly yeah. it actually yeah. says it for different reasons though what's that um because usually they say it says if you have to repack it because it's worn out it's generally just time to replace it and you repacking it won't do anything Oh, well, I mean, these things are fresh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, it's don't repack it because it's a giant pain to get everything back in place. Because, and, and that's just the thing. The, the, the design on these trucks is 
fine, but there's a lot of floating parts. There's parts that are just held in place by the bearings themselves. Mm-hmm. So having to use tweezers and individually place all of those ball bearings and making sure nothing falls out and then, you know, getting it back on the rail and tightening it up, it is, uh, yeah, yeah, it's tough. But... So- it did not get that. I actually asked why it was not recommended, and it just basically reiterated what it just told me. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Cheese trees from the chat asked, "Have we asked it any brewing questions?" The bot. I mean, what? Okay. Let's ask it. Give me a homebrew recipe for a brown ale. Ooh. Watch it give you like the best recipe ever. <laughs> Let's see what it does. Uh 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 is it actually has something? it actually has uh a ingredient list and stuff. No way. Okay. okay. We're going we're going to go through this, okay? All right. Ingredients. Oh, so it's an LME uh, malt extract recipe. Um, That's fine. That's fine. So six pounds of LME. uh, Light malt extract. LME stands for, yeah, light malt extract. um, Which is just like malt. It's powdered sugar. Yeah, powdered sugar made out of malt. One pound of crystal malt. Half pound of chocolate malt. Half pound of wheat malt, which is interesting. Wheat malt in a brown ale, but in a yeah. brown ale, yeah, yeah. One ounce of Cascade hops, a quarter mm-hmm. teaspoon of Irish moss, and one pack okay. of dry ale yeast. That is not a very hoppy beer at all. No, it's not. Also, one pound of crystal. Uh, what crystal was it? What just number? crystal malt. Oh, just any crystal. There's like. Yeah. 15 different crystals. Well, I would probably regardless. pick like a 60 probably. Yeah, or less, but but what most of the time like with crystal malts they only suggest like 5 or 10% max of your grain bill is crystal and it sounds like it's a lot more in that one. Um it's about that percentage. It's about 10%. That's 6 7 It's one it's an eighth. It's an eighth of the bill. An eighth? Okay. So that's probably going to be a pretty sweet beer. Yeah, especially with only an ounce of Cascade hops. Yeah. And so so all said and done, that's a very, very malty sweet beer, and not bitter at all. Heat 2.5 gallons of water in a large pot. So it's a 2.5 gallon bat. Oh, it gives the instructions too. Yeah. Okay. Crush the malt, add into okay. the water, bring water to boil, remove the pot from heat, stir in light malt extract until fully dissolved. Return the pot to heat, bring to boil, add cascade hops, and boil for 60 minutes. Cool the mixture to room temperature, transfer to fermentator, add packet of dry ale yeast, and mix and ferment the mixture at room temperature for 7 to 10 days. Transfer to beer bottles and kegs. Let it age for two weeks before serving. And then it says, this recipe will make approximately five gallons. I mean... No, we started with two and a half gallons of water, though, so we can't get to five gallons. Did, oh, was there not a step for uh, for a top up anywhere? No. Okay, so we got basically got one thing wrong then. Kind of. The steps. It's missing some steps. A little bit, not much. 
But like, it doesn't tell us to remove the the grist from the malt from the mash. Well, it didn't actually even say to mash. It basically went right to LME step. Yeah, it's heat. Oh, and it just says heat it. It doesn't even tell us what our mashing temp is. Did it have a the? But yeah, I don't it remember had it having two and a half mash that, gallons of water in a large pot. Crush it and then add it to the water. That's the mash. But then it's like oh, then it says I see, I see. and then it, it says boil it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So what's funny is the actual recipe. The ingredients are all fine. Those instructions, if you followed them to a T, it would be gross. Yeah. That's that's great though. Yeah. I was I, I was super I, like the thing is though you'll look at this and be like oh yeah that's this this is the thing I was noticing though well I said earlier about this chatbot is people were just so shocked it had an answer that looks correct and also yes at first glance you look at this and go this looks like a recipe for beer then you start reading it and go oh this is all wrong. <laughs> I don't know if I'd say all wrong, but yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, uh, you know, in reviewing it, yeah, there's plenty wrong. In there. Oh, this is the, the last line here. Experiment and have fun. Well, it's perfectly right there. Yeah, there you go. Hmm. I, I, I'm honestly su- surprised. Like, it's even properly formatted like a recipe should. That's interesting. Yeah. That would that would be fun to brew an AI beer. We should try it. I we think sh- we, we should totally like should ignore it. the instructions and just do the ingredients. Yeah, do the ingredients and then, you know, make sure it's actually done properly, but Yeah, like I would do the cascade for 60 minutes, which is way too long for cascade, but I would be like, yeah, let's do it. 60 minute boil for the cascade hops. Mm-hmm. Cascade's usually that, like the last 15 minutes of a, of a beer. I mean, if I, I think you could get plenty good results if you did cascade for 60 because it would just be bettering. Uh, yeah. At that point, you're just getting the, the acid, the amino acids, yeah. right? Yeah. I, I think it would work fine. Oh, yeah. Oh, I like that question. So Cheese Breeze wants me to ask it. How do you get your arm unpinned from a boulder alone in Utah? Just that uh, 24 hour survival dude. I can't remember what the guy's name was. He had to cut his arm off with a... A Swiss Army knife, right? Yeah, Swiss Army knife. I guess you could... Interesting. So, it seems to also, like, reiterate your question to help pad the answer. It tends to do that a lot. If you're alone in Utah and your arm is pinned under a boulder, it's important to remain calm and think carefully about how you free yourself. Here are some steps you can try to take to get your arm unpinned. Number one, take a few deep breaths and try to relax. Panic can make a situation worse and make it more difficult to think clearly. Well, that doesn't really help get your arm unpinned, but okay. Number two, assess the situation. Carefully elevate the position of your arm and boulder and try to determine the best way to move your arm or the boulder to free it. (laughs) Three, look for potential leverage points. If you can find something solid and stable, such as a nearby tree or rock, you might use it to leverage the boulder off your arm. 
use your body weight. If you can shift your body weight in a way that creates a leveraging force, you may be able to force to move the boulder. For example, basically though, this this AI doesn't know anything about that story. Oh, clearly, yeah. Because um, there's nothing about um, but, but, cutting but your if arm you off. Gave it, if you gave it a list of tools that you have available uh, in the question, uh, would that change it? Like, I have a knife. I like how we're trying to make the bot come to that conclusion. So I, I, I asked it. I only have a blunt pocket knife. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much um, what a 911 operator would answer. That's actually really true, uh, cheese, uh, cheese trees. You can try calling for rescue services. I mean, reasonable, right? I'm going to say I cut my arm off. Actually, I'm going to say I cut my arm off. Now what? <laughs> if you have cut your arm off, it is important to seek immediate medical attention. <laughs> you know what would be really, really fun? Get a group of people together and play Dungeons and Dragons where the AI has to be the dungeon master and you somehow feed it information where it progresses the story. Have you trained it on games like uh, the chat adventure games? Mm-hmm. Oh, you could totally do that. Yeah, you, you could, and it would probably come up with some really ridiculous but fun stuff to do. What is fun is asking to generate unrealistic excuses to avoid holiday gatherings. Oh, okay. How do I avoid my family during uh, what's a holiday we want to use? Just say the holidays. Or say Christmas or whatever, Thanksgiving. Plan ahead. Set boundaries. Make alternative plans and seek support. <laughs> <laughs> Hit the ground. <laughs> Stop, drop, and roll. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, you have to tell it you want unrealistic and outrageous. Okay. I'm actually going to, because this is supposed to be like a chat bot. I'm going to say those are too mundane. Oh, it's confused now. I do not have personal experience or knowledge to your specific circumstances, so it might be difficult for me to provide advice that is tailored to your needs. <laughs> okay, let's wrap up this podcast <laughs> before the bot takes us over. Okay, well, that was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We were your host, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dillman. Take it easy. <laughs>